You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and these are Dan Bear's interviews with the composers for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Thomas Miser, and Curtis Moore, and the show's choreographer, Marguerite Derricks. What drives Midge Maisel? I want a big life. I want to break every single rule there is. Oh, boy, I'm lucky. This Mrs. Maisel, you say everything I think. A terrifying connection. We seem to be experiencing very bad luck. I don't know about that. This is my lucky day. My business is really picking up. It's a busy professional office now. What was it like? So many dicks. What? Whatever. Boy, are you in the wrong family, kid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Next Best Picture podcast, where we are talking with Tom Miser and Curtis Moore, the songwriting, composing, music team behind the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. We're so happy to be here. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you again after talking to you last season or the season before, because like with every season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, I always am surprised by which songs are original versus which ones were pre-existing that had just been lost to time. So I was hoping you could start by telling our listeners who, besides the uh, spectacular trash musical, um, were there any other songs that you all wrote for the final season of the show? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, you know, to start from the back here, but we, you know, there's so much stuff we end up writing for the show. Uh, you know, Maisel isn't normally a needle drop when they, there's no score to the show, obviously, it's just all found songs, but there ends up being so much music. And we actually have written songs in every episode this season, except for one. And uh, wow. so a lot of the other stuff that we're doing that you might not know about is we write all of the music for Gordon Ford. So anytime you see that band playing on on screen, we're writing everything they play. It's all original. And it's kind of fantastic because, you know, obviously we, we, we write it, we get it all approved and we pre-record it. But then we have a live band that's still playing the music live on set. You're just hearing the pre-taped version. So it's always, you know, everyone's got an in-ear click. It's, it's quite elaborate and amazing. So we do all of that. We've also done all of the music for the um, the Wolford, you know, uh, burlesque house, the strip, the stripper music. We write all of that, and that honestly, all of that. All it's of a that dream. Wow! Oh, it's that's amazing. And and it's to be honest, some of, the, yeah. some of the fun. I'll, Tom, you're going to talk about this. I'm going to set it up, but I think <laughs> maybe the most fun stuff we've had is privately these numbers we do for the strippers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in season four, there were some existing songs that were used, but but mm-hmm. I say it's probably three quarters of us right. uh, last year, and then the and the last few scenes of the Wolford in season five, it's all us, and it's just a blast because part of the joy of writing those songs is that we get to talk about like what could the strip be. We actually have been involved in the past and like pitching like, well, you know, it's going to be a we know that it's going to be a woman on a you know on top of a building washing windows, but what if she like uses, you know, the squeegee and and is shaking it and drops it on people and we hear someone shout from below and but like we get to be a part of that creative comic mm. process which is um, not usual for songwriters to get to be that involved in what happens. Well, and also even even more than that, some there's some sequences that you don't 
you don't see. You know, we spend a lot of time backstage at the Wolford, and you're hearing the striptease happen on on stage, but we're not ever seeing what that is. And in those cases, Tom and I just literally make it up. Like one of them, one of them this year was um was like was called the typist pool, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, typist. Yeah. The typist, and it's we were imagining a whole bunch of of women ooh, doing stenos. You know what I mean? Like, and and so the whole oh my thing. Gosh. You don't see it, but if you listen, you're going to hear a typewriter in the background because that's part of the cue that we did. You know, there's another one that we called Amelia Earhart. Which you just imagine this this stripper that was playing Amelia Earhart, flying all over the world. Terrible. Again, none terrible. of this ever. <laughs> yeah, it's so terrible. None of this ever gets on on screen, but. We've come up with all these really fun, and a lot of times they're instrumental. But Tom's still written lyrics to it. It's 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 lyrics, oh my God. very very dirty, and no one should ever hear. Oh, give me a whole burlesque musical of this stuff! Yeah. Like, give me a show that takes place in the Wolfer. We believe you and me both. We should do a show in Vegas of just all the strip numbers. It would be pretty amazing. That uh, that would be a cabaret show to end all cabaret shows. I tell you. I agree. <laughs> But yeah, that's, I mean, honestly, just as a little side note, that's probably, you Mm -hmm. know, besides the big stuff we get to do, like the trash musical, that was, those little moments are really a joy to work on. Um, And, uh, you know, we love it. That's so much fun. And I was going to ask if the Gordon Ford show stuff was you guys, or if that was some ancient recordings and songs that they had found, because I was, I assumed that that was all original music. Yeah. And it sounds great. It's it's been so fun. It's been such a there's such a great band, and you know, and and you you forget, you know, writing the theme for the Gordon Ford was actually a real challenge, and I, and it, it was Tom that that cracked it because I was trying to come up with what that what that Gordon Ford would sound like, and of course we were mm-hmm. listening to everything from the you know the Tonight Show and all those great themes from the fifties and sixties, and Tom brought up my favorite composer. Um, Dave Brubeck, right? Dave Brubeck, one ah, yes. And said, "Oh, what if it? What if you found that kind of really fun, you know, jazz waltz that he sort of does?" And I was like, "That fast jazz waltz was like the key, and it really, uh, and I, I love that Gordon Ford theme. It came out great, and the band is great, you know. And of course, what what you got, what what most of us don't know is we when we're in the studio, we recorded like five or ten versions of that because we don't know." Mm-hmm how long it's going to be on set right. and, it, and it invariably changes even after we've recorded it. So we're making pro tools edit on, on set and giving the, the live players bars to cut so they can oh. still be playing the same correct notes. Wow. You know, so yeah, it's a, it's a real, it's very nerdy and fun. And, and it's, 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 okay. it's always a, um, a, uh, a, that should be the title of our autobiography. Nerdy and fun. Nerdy and fun. Nerdy and fun. I like it. I, I love that though, that you're actually like, rewriting and giving it to the musicians on set so on set. that that immersion that re- even if you are looking in the background no they're actually playing yeah. that I mean, music that's, that's incredible so, it's so awesome because they, they really spend a lot of time on Maisel making sure everything's so authentic and mm-hmm. it's a real joy because we've all seen shows where you're like wait a minute that pianist is not doing anything remotely close to what we're hearing or even worse like I'm hearing yeah. 45 instruments and I only see three on screen. Like, where is that coming from? In Maisel, they are they are so authentic. They spend all their time making sure everything looks exactly right. You're going to see, if, if there are four trumpets and three trombones in the track, you're going to see four trumpets and three trombones on that stage. And I really appreciate that because um, that's the stuff, you know, outside our control. We're there, mm-hmm. but, you know, they, they could have just been like, no, we're going to use one, you know, kazoo in a banjo <laughs> player. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and those people on stage all play. Like that's the mm. thing. They all can play it. Even if you're not hearing it live, they they hire musicians to play the musicians so that the fingering looks good and the, yep. everything like that. Yeah. 
in a lot of cases, they're the same musicians, the same musicians that play in the, in the recording in the studio are the same ones we bring on set. Oh, that's great. Well, you talked about like how earlier, how it, you get to collaborate more sometimes with Maisel than you have on other shows, which leads me to um, the trash musical, which is just, I, I can't tell you how many times I've watched it because I've lost count. <laughs> but you you're know, so you're sorry. <laughs> um, I have several questions about the trash musical, but first is like, what was that pitch like from the Palatinos to you? I'm dying to know. It was insane. We had, there had been inklings and we'd been told scheduling wise that the fourth episode of the season was going to involve industrial musicals. Like we knew that in advance. So we had done research in general, but we didn't know the topics at all. We had no idea yeah. what they were going to be. And we were even told there's at one point there were going to be three different ones. And, and so we were waiting and waiting. Mm -hmm. And then about, Three and a half weeks before our first recording session, we were brought into a conference room and Amy came in so excited and they had laid out all these like drawings of the set and stuff. And oh my God, it's going to be about trash. And we're like, if you could see our faces, we're like, what, what, what? We have to write about what? And she was so excited. And it, once we heard her vision for it and she had these little ideas, like we saw a vision of, of of Emily Burgle's character Tessie on top of a trash pile and we had the guys we knew that the guys were going to be tap dancing with trash can lids mm -hmm. and once you hear those details then it was like off to the races it was yeah. so much fun and yeah. literally off to the races because it was so fast but it was it was such a joy to, to just share with one of the masters of comedy I mean Amy Sherman Palladino is just a great comic writer and to be able to toss ideas to her and see what would make her laugh was was really like this great joy as we send off the show. Yeah. I mean, it really was. And Tom really put very succinctly that we, you know, we only had about less, just a little bit shy of four weeks from when we got the assignment to when we were recording it and getting ready to tape it, which is insane. Cause not only did we write the trash musical, but we wrote two other musicals yeah. in that episode. There's the, the first, you know, we, don't, we only see parts of those other musicals, but we see the entire trash musical. And of course, we see that trash musical twice, and it's not the same. That's the whole other thing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we basically have the landscaping musical and we have the kitchen musical. Mm -hmm. And um, landscaping, we just see the one number. The kitchen, we actually do two numbers, but you're only seeing one of the numbers. Um, but, you know, all of that was written all in advance in, in basically that, that amount of time. So there's probably like eight numbers we wrote in those, you know, three and a half weeks before we got, got everything together. So it's just, there was just, amazing time and the other the other thing that was really fun is that part of that assignment that made it even more challenging and also we love a good challenging assignment was that amy said to us all three musicals have to be written by three different composing and songwriting teams sure. so she didn't want them to sound like like just that we had written three musicals she wanted them to be these three so we kind of put ourselves as tom likes to say we kind of became method writers and put ourselves <laughs> in the bodies and the minds of what we thought those people would be, you know, maybe the, the landscaping number we thought was a throwback to like these old school fifties music theater writers that were writing sort of old school style. Then you get to the kitchen number. We're like, okay, this is like ad ad guys that write jingles. They're going to be more rock and roll. You know, that's their thing. Right. Then we got to the trash <laughs> musical. We're like, okay, no, this is the modern 
these are the new music theater writers in the 60s who are forward thinking. They're doing razzmatazz and lots more dance, a little bit dirtier, a little bit more subversive. You know, and that was kind of how we put ourselves and 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 wrote those three uh, musicals. And it was really fun to kind of put ourselves. It changed the instrumentation, it changed the sound, it changed the context of the lyrics and how the you know each what kind each of, of lyrics you write like from different people's perspective. You know, who's going to use you know the in the trash musical they're going to use longer words and be more sophisticated and a little more Sondheim <laughs> and Candernet versus the yeah. landscape where it's going to be Moon in June, right? That. <laughs> Yes. Oh, it, the trash musicals like felt very candor and ebb actually while watching <laughs> yes. it. I love that. <laughs> um, you mentioned that you had done some research on industrial musicals because you knew at least that that was coming. What kind of research are you able to do on industrial musicals? Like how many of these have been saved? Or Welcome what? to the rabbit hole you're about to go on. I'm First, so excited. <laughs> you're going to go down. It's, it's, it's amazing. There's a great documentary is the place to start, which is, mm. it's called Bathtubs Over Broadway. Yes. And it is a I've heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. It's about industrials. And then once you start that, you'll you can go on YouTube, and there are so many cast recordings from these because they were given out as like gifts, you know, to the people attending. And so there are cast recordings of like the transmission musical written, you know, by Sheldon Harnick or whatever. Wow. <laughs> and once you go down it, you just you can follow the people collect these, people do these things. It is out of control. It's so funny. I mean, just endless and then even in talking to you know when they started writing this amy reached out to the amazing uh susan stroman uh broadway mm -hmm. director and choreographer who did these and people still did these well into the 80s and 90s and they still did them today actually a little bit yeah um, i mean i i worked on one i did i worked with jason robert brown on a industrial in the late 90s oh, wow uh, yeah i mean we were all still doing this and all of our friends would go off to star in it and you know that's how you, you make a ton of money that's how you pay your bills because listen oh. theater pays fives and fives of dollars let me tell you <laughs> um you know so so getting but a chance state to farm if you can get yeah. state farm to to make you make a musical bring <laughs> exactly. on exactly. Shame. and I'll, reaching out to you right now state farm if you need us we're available <laughs> we are here we know how to do this now <laughs> there you go if you need a new jingle state farm exactly. we got you <laughs> we got you covered Exactly. Um, I, so I have, and so like you said that they had some of it planned out. They had like pictures and some of it. You mentioned Emily Burgle's character on the, the trash heap. So she said that I'm going to assume because everything on Maze was very, very purposeful. I'm going to assume that we've seen Better Days was a Beckett reference and going to ask how long it took you to come up with that. Once <laughs> she gave that set. <laughs> that was, there was definitely that in the back of my theater brain head, probably, though I can't say it was like a direct, like, I have no. that, but it's definitely there. I mean, I, that's so funny. Um, everything is just, it was a flow of ideas and mm -hmm. especially that song. That was the one that Amy was really like, we wrote so many lyrics for that song. And there's a whole a verse and a bridge that you don't hear on the show that exists that we recorded. And uh, it was such a back and forth of like, okay, Amy, how about this? How about this joke? How about this joke? We wrote, I, I think for one line there, I won't tell you which one, there was 40 different iterations of the joke. Uh, <laughs> the one about going to Jersey to smell fresh air. <laughs> 
Oh, that is my, I have to tell you, that is, that is the proudest <laughs> moment because after that song was filmed, people on the crew would walk up to us and go, Hoboken, <laughs> just like for the next week. So Tom, we need to get a, Maisel t-shirts that just say Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Hoboken, exclamation point. I want to, yeah, I wanted to say, uh, what was it? Smog Death Hoboken. Yeah. Smog yeah. Death Hoboken. <laughs> yeah. 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 The proudest <laughs> moment of my writing career. <laughs> And I wanted to ask you if you if you did like knowing that the second time we see this, it's going to be different because oh, yeah. Midge is going off script. How how did that affect your well, writing well, process? Mostly it affected how the underscore works. So it's a really okay. as you can imagine, it's so complicated. But the when we wrote the when we wrote this, we we write these shows, all the songs we write for Maisel, we always write like two or three versions of each song. Mm-hmm. Uh before we submit, just because it's generally in historically we've done that um, because it always makes it it's easier to talk about it when you have multiple options and we just find it better than just giving one. With this particular show, we didn't have time, so we submitted our first drafts and our first drafts pretty much all of them stayed with alterations except the finale that we wrote. We wrote a much more elaborate finale to the to the show that that Amy was like, no, we don't have time. We just need a kick line and get out, and it'll be fun. And I was like, yeah, we got it. Go, great. Kick line and get out. Right. So we actually used the the original song as the underscore. So for all that sequence uh. that that Midge is talking about, like you know, she's got that monologue she has to read. We're using that song, but with you know theater magic, when we come back and the second time through, there's a whole bunch of sequence with with Susie and Joel. And the the mafia guys in the house, but the mu- while the musical is con- continuing, the the funny the thing is, in this case, the musical has to be longer because <laughs> the scenes that are out there are actually taking longer than the musical. <laughs> of course, so we had to so we had to like you know put put a, a whole different series of uh, underscores together. And and also we knew that they'd be editing, so the music mm-hmm. had to be, you know, unlike something like the Gordon Ford stuff, where we have what you see is what you yeah. get. That's you got to get it there because this is technically underscore, even though it's being performed live. Mm-hmm. We had to create it in a way that the edits could be made musically, um, so that it still felt like she's up there doing her show, even though we're watching the scene off. That so it's just it's fun stuff like that that was a, a challenge, and 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 also it's fun that we got to get all of the songs we wrote in it, even though. <laughs> that song technically got cut because there's a whole, there's a whole series of lyrics for that, that we'll sing at some cabaret some night. (laughs) Which is going to be my next question because we're almost out of time is what is your favorite cut lyric from any of the industrial musicals? Oh my gosh. That's so favorite cut lyric. Um, Gosh. Oh God. There's so many. I mean, we had to do, Oh God. Uh, we had to do rewrites right on set. It was kind of amazing to have Emily mm. Burgle re-record. On the day of the shoot, Amy changed her mind about one of the comedy moments. And Tom literally on the spot came up with like five different options that could be in that moment. Amy picked one and we had to tell the entire, all 800 people on that set to be quiet while Emily pre-recorded her, just on a, a little microphone we had there, mm-hmm. pre-recorded that new lyric. And then she went up and you know, did her whole thing. Um, uh, we thought that would be a temporary fix. It actually is the exact same audio that is in the recording as what we recorded on wow. set. That one extra thing. I'm mean, a tribute to the whole sound team that they're amazing to be able to pull that off. But um, I don't know, Tom, what can, can you think of a, 
No, it's it's just it there it's that list of 40 different all the jokes about like lost limbs and like stuff that we had for the trash pile were so raunchy and wrong and it was just finding the right one. Uh so there are a ton of those that if you, you know, if you get me a martini or two some night, I will <laughs> I'll probably spill them all, but it's best if I not reveal them here. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Martinis on me next time you're in New York. <laughs> you guys, Thomas Miser, Curtis, where you guys are a delight. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh my gosh. And thank you so much for having us. It's always us. a joy. Oh, of course. And what are you all working on next? Well, you know, with the writer's strike, we we we're working on a new project with Amazon, but we're gonna, that's on hold, I think, right now. And so we've gone back to our roots. We've got a couple of really fun theater projects that we're working on. Fantastic. So this summer, we're back to Broadway. Yeah, that's where we will be on the lookout. Great. Thank you both so much for joining us again. Thank you very much. Not one person who's ever accomplished anything of worth in life has ever been happy. It's two steps forward, three steps back, and I'm tired of it. This is it. This is the break. They didn't see you for what you are, a goddamn star. You win? I'm in. It's showtime! I'm gonna get this. See. Welcome, everyone, to the Next Best Picture podcast, where we are talking with Marguerite Derricks, the choreographer for the final season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Marguerite, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. I'm really excited to be speaking with you because um, you've worked on several great TV shows over the years, you including working with Amy Sherman Palladino before on Seasons of Gilmore Girls, and most notably, at least for me, a former dancer and choreographer, Bunheads. Oh. Um, <laughs> dearly departed. Um, Love that show so much. Yeah. It was so wonderful. And your work, even with the Palladinos, has been very varied. And I'm curious how she pitched your work this season to you, knowing that there is, of all things, several industrial musicals, including one about trash. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, yeah, she reached out to me early on and she was like, hey, lovely, we're going to have this really big episode four with these industrials. It's going to be huge. Like she always gives me the, the heads up when something big is about to happen. And um, so I flew into New York a couple of months prior just to be there for the development, the meetings, um, you know, working with 
you know, our, our amazing music team and, um, you know, Curtis and Tom creating original tracks for the show, you know, working with uh, just all of the creators on Maisel, Donna and the costumes. Um, so it, we, I really got to go in there and um, powwow with Amy and Dan and to create these musicals, but, you know, trash came from their brilliant minds it was it was it was not my idea but I just when I you know I just I'm always so excited to sit across the room from them because I just know there's going to be so much wonderful madness you know to create and um yeah so it was it was a really good one and you know Amy and Dan are so so respectful of, of of dancers and choreographers and giving you what you need. And she knew that like, this was probably the biggest epi episodic, like the amount of work in this episode in my whole career, you know, and I've been doing this for a long time, but to have that many big numbers in one episode, it was like, oh my God, it was almost as much as I had maybe in a, a previous, like, like season two of, of Maisel, you know, um, but she's so great. She and Dan are so great and giving me what I need to, um, you know, to accomplish um, bringing the magic to their brilliant ideas. So I was going to ask, um, you know, how the uh, collaboration process worked. And you said right there, you were in there from the beginning working with the composers and working with the costume designers, like right from the very beginning, which leads me to a question because the first number that we see in that big episode is a snippet of a piece with flowers for uh, fertil fertilizer. And I'm wondering because a malfunction happens at some point during the musical and that was a question for me of did you choreograph the whole number and have this thing go wrong or did you actually work in that that was that was mishap. yeah that mishap was a, a part of the uh you know the, the writing the script uh, yeah the, it was part of the script and it, um it was really a part of putting everything together you know, having, you know, the, the landscapers and the leaf blowers blowing the girls' skirts <laughs> up and, um, you know, then to have the, the tulips come up and you know, do this little balletic balance thing. And, and, yeah. and I was so happy with the dancer that got to, to do that part because she was so funny. In rehearsal, every single time, it felt like the first time for me watching her literally get, you know, caught up in the, in the, in the bushes. Um, yeah, so that, once again, that's all... Uh, from the brilliant minds of Amy and Dan, you know, where they can take a beautiful number and bring just these really fabulously quirky, funky moments, like the guys mm -hmm. blowing the girls' dresses and then the two look at hot. You know, there's it's never it's never just a real beautiful number, which is <laughs> yeah. so great, which is so great. Yeah, and that, the the guys blowing the girls' skirts that also came from them. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh okay. Yeah. I'll tell you, you know, Amy, um, she, boy, does she challenge us. You know, I had to work with Roy, uh, who works um, on, you know, all of the special effects, um, getting those skirts to blow. I can imagine. <laughs> it's not coming from the leaf blower. It was coming from grates in the stage. Mm, so that that makes to, more sense. Yeah, so that had to be so meticulously choreographed. The girls had to land a certain way. If they didn't land a certain way, those dresses weren't blowing enough. And I'm like, I know what Amy expects to see. <laughs> so, um, we did many tests on that. And I, you know, I, it, you know, everybody on, on, on Maisel, 
no matter how crazy of a, of a, you know, of a challenge that she would give to us, we always pulled it off. But there's always that at the very beginning when you're going, oh my God, is this going to work? Because the blowing just was, it was like, like it really wasn't working. And I'm like, we got to see the panties. We got to see the panties. Um, but yeah, so it was just, you know, it's just, it's just fun. And it makes it for me as a choreographer, I'm not trying to be funny. Mm. I get to choreograph really beautiful, like get great dancers and make it beautiful and great because they write the funny in there. And I've, I've been very, um, very lucky through my career to work with great comedians and, and people that write comedy where I've never, I never try to force, like, I don't like that sticky forced comedy and Amy and Dan, I mean, like I get the scripts and I laugh out loud, like I, and I can't wait to go to work. Um, so they, they write the funny for me and I just make it beautiful. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah. And another great thing about that number is, and I imagine it must have been stressful, it was all done in one take with the camera sort of going around that set numerous times. Was that part of their initial idea that this was all going to be in one take? Have you, well, if you watch. <laughs> I mean, I would imagine it was. Watching, but... <laughs> watching, watching Maisel all these seasons, we very rarely don't do one take. It's true. It's a rarity. So whenever I... There, there was a couple numbers seasons prior to this that weren't written as a oneer, but I couldn't help myself. That's <laughs> sure. right. As a so we shot it as a oneer. I mean, they're so beautiful, and there's no better way to capture dance. Mm. This oneer was a drone, so that was the trick. Oh wow! So you had to control that drone. So you know, oh there's my gosh. there's so many different ways that we create these great oneers. You know, they're not mm. always steady cam. The steady cam are, are kind of, I shouldn't say easier, but they're easier to control. Yeah. The drone, it was all about, I mean, we had several drone rehearsals. Oh my God, I can imagine. The timing had to be perfect. And there's, mm -hmm. you know, there was just something that we had in our mind, Amy and I, that we wanted to see at specific moments. So we're, for me, I always talk about when I'm working on Maisel, it's a pot of dough with the camera. And that was a pot of dough with a camera that was a wild dancer. You know what I mean? It was like, what is this drone? You know, so, but you know, it 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 came together, um, and it it it's beautiful, and it just you know, brings so much magic to the choreography. It really does. It gives the number this dynamism to it that you're constantly going around them. It looks so great, and when thinking about something like that. How And you said that, you know, you had certain things that you wanted to see at certain moments, but when you're choreographing these pieces, how, how much do you take into account where the camera is going to be? Even for something like the, you know, private demolition and waste management musical, which is going to be happening on stage, or even the shows at the Wolford. Yeah, I, everything, you know, I, I always want to know, that's, that's, that's something that I do with Amy and Dan. From like early on in the process, yeah. You know, a lot of the Wilford stuff, I like, especially that episode eight, the big finale in the Wilford. Mm -hmm. I choreographed like we choreographed the camera first, and then I played. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah, and then on the drone, what happened was once we got the drone in there and started looking at the monitor, I started rearranging the choreography to the drone. So, you know, it's, it's you know, um, when we did the the underwater number in Florida, I think that was season three. Yeah. 
we knew exactly what that camera was going to do. And, um, you know, so it's fun. It's like, like I said, it becomes a pas de deux. That's my partner. My partner mm-hmm. is the camera. So, um, and I, gosh, I, 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 I wish for every choreographer out there working that they get to um, work with the camera the way I do, because it's magical. It really is magical. And Amy and Dan, like, there's no doubt that's what it's always going to be. It's always, it's never about just creating a dance. It's like, okay, how, how is this thing being shot? That's always like the first question for me. That's great. That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> how much were you involved in the design of those flower costumes? <laughs> because oh, they're fantastic. They, they are fantastic. <laughs> and the way they interact is. Yeah. You know, that, that's the genius of Donna. Like she mm. really like, um, yeah, she shows us sketches and she she just gets it. Donna really gets dance as well. And I, you know, on this, like I think season four, I really when we when we got to the Wolford, I started coming in earlier on everything. So I was with her creating, as opposed to like when we did the USO, I remember doing that big tap number and I didn't see the costume till I got to set and it was just like, oh, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what it was going to look like, but you know, starting season four, Donna and I really started to um, collaborate and and talk about you know what the costume should be. And there's even like in the kitchen number. Yes, there, there, was, there was an idea, Donna. You know, there was an idea, another another look that we went for that Donna delivered, but her original look was the way the kitchen girl is with that. Mm-hmm. You know. The, that skirt that moves so beautifully like you know that was Donna's original idea and we tried something else and we're like oh let's go let's go back to Donna's idea and when I watched that number the way her that that the skirts with the petticoats underneath the way that the way they move that becomes a part of the dance. It does. And Donna is so, you know, she, once again, she also knows dance so well. And um, she's so detailed, meticulously detailed that she just gets it. She just gets it. Um, So I, like, I couldn't be in better hands than with all the creatives that are on the show. Like, it's just, we're all kind of, I hate to sound whatever I'm going to say it. We're all at the top of our game. We're all at the top of our game and we get together and we all trust each other and the collaboration. Um, you know, sometimes we, you know, we have to, um, not battle, but like negotiate things. Mm-hmm. This comes, just comes together so beautifully. Um, and I love, I love working with Donna so much. She's, she is part of you know, what makes my work so magical. Well, and you can see, and and especially in that in that little kitchen number, yeah. every department is involved oh. in that. Like, yeah. I'm sure you were working with props about how to open the the oven and how heavy every prop was going to be. When like she, when she first comes off the counter and spins and her leg goes up, she presses a button and those the the blenders go off and the colors. <laughs> Colors of what's in the blender were so important. The vibrancy of the colors, like once again, they were at the top of their game with that. When we decided we wanted to do the the oven mitts, you know, I'm like, you know, we want to try oven mitts. Boom. The next day, there's like four different sets. What's the perfect one to slide in and out in one beat? (laughs) And they love it. They love, um, they really, uh, they, they love when, when, 
you know, I asked for props and it becomes part of the choreography. Yeah. And that one was majorly, there was another part of the magic was the props, you know, we're all kind of working together. So, you know, so tightly to just make it magical. Yeah. And, you know, before we're coming up on uh, all the time we have, but I have to know, like, how much did you know about these industrial musicals before starting work on this? And how much research were you even able to do about how they looked? Well, you know, ironically, in the early 90s, when I was just really starting to, you know, get off as a choreographer, industrials were a big part of my, like, we did all, like every year, um, we did, went to Atlanta, Las Vegas, and Chicago, and A6 Tiger was my company. Like I all of A6 Tiger's industrials, and Nike had one, Adidas had one, so there were these big industrials, and we put on shows, (laughs) put on these mini Broadway shows, what I didn't know when I first got this was that it started way back when. And just so happened, I think it was on maybe Netflix, Bathtubs Over yeah. Broadway. And um, I, was, I, I watched that and I was like, this is what we were doing in the 90s. It just started back here. Mm-hmm. So I, it's something that I was very familiar with. I knew how big how big and elaborate we made these shows. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they, they were big and they were elaborate. So I just kept it in the right time period. And then, you know, had the brilliant ideas for each one from Amy and Dan. So, yeah. That's fantastic. So I, I love full circle moments like oh, that. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, I know, I know industrials. I just didn't know that they were doing them. Like Stroman, mm. Susan Stroman was doing them way back when. Yeah. Like, you know, early it's crazy. on. So, yeah, it's like, it, and we made a lot of money doing that. That was, a, that really employed actors and choreographers. That's so cool. Um, okay, we're getting to the end. We are out of time. But I have to ask, because you've done all the strip numbers, the burlesque numbers and the Wilford have been so clever and fun and each very different from each other so i'm gonna ask you to choose amongst your children and tell me which one was your favorite to choreograph bubbles Bubbles. (laughs) yeah you know and now i said bubbles and then i'm thinking about my assistant l'oreal who did the the swirling uh dorothy you know and my my best friend who did the uh the window washer like (laughs) So, so great. Yeah, so now I don't know, but my first reaction was bubbles because it was such a unique time. We were in we were in COVID. Mm. I, the casting for that season was all done through Zoom. What usually wow. takes me two days to cast took me like a month and a half. And the first time I laid on I laid my eyes on Ivory Fox because I, I sent each girl like a, a choreography to learn and then I wanted them to freestyle for me. And in her freestyle, when she did her handstand and all of that crazy stuff with her legs, I'm like, I got to send this to Amy and Dan. They're going to lose their shit. (laughs) So I immediately sent it to Amy and Dan. And, you know, you know, because I I, I love to send them when I when I find something weird like that, because I know they're going to write it in. Mm -hmm. And there there comes bubbles. And um, yeah. So and then putting her in the bathtub on her hands. Come on, kicking the balls. It was just so much fun. And 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 the, the actress dancer who did bubbles was just brilliant. Absolutely. Fantastic. 
everyone, all of the dancers throughout the season, but especially the ones at the Wilford, they've been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, when when they're in that lineup, you know, that that kind of quirky chorus line lineup, <laughs> shoots it from the back. To me, it is like for me, it was the most beautiful group of women I've ever put together because they were so eclectic, different sizes and shapes and colors. Like it was everything. It, it, it was just, I, I just, I was like, this was the hit of season four for me is finding all of those women and putting them together. That to me was the, the big hit because they were, and just, just the flavor they brought to each number was just, come on. There's, they, they, you know, dancers, I always tell dancers when I'm teaching choreography, you either make me look great or make me look stupid. <laughs> It's really, it lies in the hands of, the, uh, the, of how the, it's performed, right? Mm-hmm. And those women, those women were brilliant. It was just so much fun. Yeah. So great. Well, thank you again for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. And I thank have... you for your work on Maisel and oh, best of luck. Pleasure. Oh, thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Dan Bear's interviews with the composers for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Thomas Miser, and Curtis Moore, and the show's choreographer, Marguerite Garricks, here on the Next Best Picture podcast. The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel is now available for you to stream on Amazon Prime Video and is up for your consideration for this year's Emmy Awards in all eligible categories. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend on over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you'll get some exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we will see you all next time. Welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book. And together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts.